We're in a series called Prayer. You can see behind me, if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to make your way to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew's the first uh, letter or book of the New Testament. We are uh, focusing on the Lord's Prayer. That We've been doing that for the last several weeks, and we're going to uh, wrap up the Lord's Prayer this morning, but we're not going to be wrapping up our series on prayer. We're going to go a couple more weeks, a few more things to be looking at. But we really want to understand what Jesus was teaching us and teaching his followers, teaching the disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray as you did uh, John, as John taught his disciples. And this is what he told them. And one thing we see as we've been walking through that is, is we have this teaching on how we can continue, continue to communicate with the Father on a daily basis. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Our life should be a constant communication with the Father and He communicating with us. And, and Jesus teaches us as we've walked through this prayer that uh, prayer is for us individuals who have been saved and forgiven by Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I'm just going to emphasize it this morning that the way Jesus taught on prayer is you can pray all you want, but to only pray in which the, the Bible teaches us, you have to be saved. Uh, you cannot call God your Father um, unless you are a child of God. And this is how Jesus lays it out before us, that we have to first be saved and then we can come and communicate with the Father through the act of prayer. Um, but let's walk through this, and we're going to deal with this last portion. Verse 13 is going to be our main focus this morning, but we're going to read the prayer as a whole. Beginning in verse 9, the word of the Lord says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And like I said, we're going to be focusing on the very last verse there, the Lord's Prayer in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But before we jump into that, I just want to draw your attention. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. Uh, many of us grew up uh, maybe singing. You ever remember the hymn? Uh, hymn. Uh, that's a good Hebrew song. Uh, the hymn uh, of the Lord's Prayer. You may remember the Lord's Prayer song at church and the hymns, and they did, you know, they, Our Father, who art in heaven. Yeah, anyway. Uh, I always liked that because, you know, one, when you get to the congregation part, there at the very end of that hymn, there is uh, a part, you know, uh, all, let's see, what is it? Uh, for thine is the kingdom. And so if you could really sing or someone could really sing it, you could belt. If you're like me, you just kind of hid yourself in the midst of everybody and are just completely off tune. Anyway, I want to just make a side note real quick because uh, as you read that, and many of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, wrapping it up with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. But if you're reading through the gospel here in verse uh, 13, there is no caption there or notation there. And so some people may wonder, where is that phrase? Why, why don't we find that? Um, if you look at the word, at the end of the word evil, it may read evil one in your own scripture. There should be some sort of notation, whether it's a number or a cap. Uh, capital letter or something at the, at the end of that that should draw you down to the bottom of your Bible. And down there you will find uh, the notation concerning that phrase, for yours or thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and amen. The reason that's not found in new copy written Bibles 
is because some of the oldest manuscripts that we ha now have, not we, but people now have, we have found that that particular verse or that particular wording is not in the oldest of manuscripts. So what that tells us is we read through the Bible, and you may well, where is it? If we read through the Bible, somebody or some people, a group of individuals at some point in time, inserted, and yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Someone put that in there, which wasn't originally in the text. Now, that may not mean like such a big deal, and you may have a Bible that has that notation in there still, or has it not dropped to the bottom of the, of the page, and it's not necessarily bad because there's nothing unbiblical about this saying, but the reason it's important for us is because we want the most accurate translation of Scripture that we can have. We want to know not what men said or not what a group of people say God said. We want to know exactly what God said so we know what God wants us to be doing, in particular, how God wants us to be praying. So if you pray the Lord's Prayer and you recite it, you, that's fine. Jesus didn't give it as like a, a, a script for us to come before God and pray this same prayer every single time. And I say it because you can read Jesus' prayers in other parts of the gospel, and you see that he didn't pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. Um, but instead, it's a model, uh, almost, like a, uh, almost like a formula, something that we can follow and in teaching on how we're to direct God. And if you happen to add that at the end of your prayer, that's fine. I mean, that's ultimately what we want in prayer. We want God's kingdom and power and glory to come in our lives, in the world's lives. I mean, that's part of your kingdom come, your will be done. That's, that's the heart of our prayer. But it's not necessarily what Jesus taught. So it, it should be a notation. If you have a Bible and it's not a notation, don't be like, oh, you're going to buy a new Bible now. No, just, just, just remember that as you read through that. And uh, you can still sing that old uh, Hebrew hymn of the Lord's Prayer. So uh, it, it's one of my favorite parts of the, of the whole hymn. So anyway, turning to our verse, I want us to walk through this to see what Jesus is teaching when it comes to prayer. So we're going to focus and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's begin at the very beginning. The word father or the title of father begins in verse 9 is understood throughout it. It, it is he that we're speaking your kingdom, your will. Uh, the father's giving, the father's forgiving, the father's leading us to forgive, and now the father is leading us. The word lead comes from two Greek words that mean to carry or to bring forward. The image that the word lead is meant to give us, if we were to hear Jesus speaking in, in his original audience here on the, on the Sermon on the Mount on the hillside, when he would use this word, automatically images would come to mind of a shepherd leading his sheep as he would carry them or bring them to where they're supposed to be. You can go to Psalm 23 and read through that and see how the Lord is our shepherd and how he leads. That's the image that would start to come. Another image that would come into the original readers or listeners would be this idea of a ship being pushed by the wind in the sail and how the, the wind brings the ship to shore in safety. The, the image and the idea we're supposed to have in our head, when I come before the Father and say, God, lead me, I'm coming before Him and saying, okay, I need a source outside of my own power, my own ability, something I can't do to take me, carry me, bring me, to where I need to be. And so I'm ultimately, God, coming to you and saying, all right, here's the keys. I'm no longer the driver. I'm now the co-pilot. And you are taking me, leading me, and bringing me to where I need to be. I am completely surrendering to your will and following where you want me to go. 
It is a prayer to say, Father, be my guide. Be my guide. Be my shepherd. Be the wind in my sails. And I don't like that song if that song came to your head just now like it did mine. But take me to where I need to be. See, the Lord's prayer begins with this beginning and ending. Our Father, I can call you my Father because I'm your child. And now I can call upon you to lead me because I am a sheep that belongs to you, the shepherd. So as I read the Lord's Prayer and I see what Jesus is teaching, I'm understanding this. I can only pray this because I am saved. Because I belong to Jesus. Because I belong to God. Because I've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Because I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me, crying out to God, Abba, Father. I can only call Jesus my shepherd because I'm a sheep of His fold. Jesus said in the, in the Gospel of John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. In verse 27, the same chapter, the Bible quotes Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, prayer, what it does and what we find here in verse 13 is it is recognizing that I belong to God. I can therefore know God. And most importantly, I am known by God. And that's huge. I am known by God as his own. John Piper writes that on the subject of being known by God, that deeper than knowing God is being known by God. And what defines us as Christian is not most profoundly that we have come to know him, but that he took note of us and made us his own. The Lord's Prayer begins with this and ends with this understanding that I am known by God, I am owned by God, and I am eternally claimed by God. So He is my Father in heaven, but the beauty of my relationship with Him through Jesus Christ is now He is personal. And He is personally leading me. And what this prayer reminds us is no matter what we go through in life, that God has known all of us even before we came into this world. God has known us all even before our parents met each other, our grandparents met each other. God knew us and knows us. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 15 through 16, that my frame, I mean my body, my, all that I am was not hidden from you. I, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book are written every one of them. The days that were formed for me as yet, as when yet there was none of them. So when we come to pray and we say, Father, lead, we're saying, Father, I, I'm trusting you. I am trusting you because you're my God and you know everything about me. You know where I, I sit down and lie down. There's not a place I can hide from your presence. So, God, I am trusting you. And the way we have to trust Him is if we go back to the Gospel of John in, in chapter 10, verse 27, and Jesus gives this thing, we have, to, we have to hear the voice of God. We have to know the voice of God. We have to follow the voice of God. So when I'm trusting God and trusting the Father, it begins, okay, me personally, I have to be able to hear the voice of God. And to hear the voice of God isn't what we're doing right now. When I listen to a sermon or I hear the Bible read or maybe I read it myself, that isn't hearing the voice of God. To hear the voice of God is to love God with my mind, which means it requires focus. 
Now, how many of us would come to a place of confession and said, our minds have already gone somewhere that isn't in this place in God's Word? All right, we got a few honest people in the house. Amen. Yeah, all right. So, so here's the thing. Here's what we're struggling with. Here's the temptation we're in the midst of right now is that God has brought us all here. He's drawn us all to this place, and He wants us to hear His voice. But in the midst of hearing the preacher and hearing the Word of God and God trying to speak to us, it is going to require each and every one of us to focus on what God is trying to say to me. I have to love you, God, with my mind in this moment because my mind tends to wander like sheep. I tend to go astray. I tend to think about things that really aren't relevant to this moment and what you're trying to speak into my heart. So I want to encourage you as you come to church and you walk in through the doors and you get your coffee or your pastries or donuts or you complain that there isn't pastries or donuts one morning because there probably be some mornings there's not. That instead of getting so worked up about that, instead of getting so worked up about the coffee tasting good or not tasting good, Come in through the doors and say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me in this moment? What do you want to say to me in the next hour or so? And it may be through the sermon. It may be through the worship. It may be through a prayer. It may be through someone else that just comes and ministers to you at the very right moment saying, hey, I've missed you. It's good to see you. But God, what are you trying to say to me Lord, lead me and help me to hear your voice. The Bible lets us know that there are people who have ears but do not hear. And the sad thing is in America, if statistics are correct, 80% of the church is thought to be lost. 80%. All people in America who go to church are thought to be lost, yet they believe they're saved. So what's the issue is they have ears every single Sunday morning, but they can't hear what God's trying to tell them. So therefore, it comes to the next part, they, they don't know the voice of God. Jesus says that you have to hear my voice and that I know them. And this is so critical today when we come to God, Father, lead me. Father, I need to hear your voice, but I also need to know your voice. And in this world today, we need to have God to give us the discernment and wisdom by the Spirit inside of us to be able to decipher what is actually God's voice and what isn't God's voice. Because there's a lot of people out there with titles of pastor and preacher and writer and musician or even a Christian. I'm a Christian whatever. But they don't speak the voice of God, yet present themselves as if they are. And a lot of people are flocking to their teachings and flocking to their ideologies and their worldly mentalities because they don't know the voice of God themselves. So this portion of prayer, I'm saying, God, lead me where I can know your voice. I don't want to know what so-and-so says. I don't want to know even what Billy Graham wrote about it. Lord, I want to know what you say. that's what I need. That's, that's what I need to lead me. Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, Tozer, Chan, all great individuals, but they're not God's voice. 
they preach and they may speak and, and God's voice comes through them or spirit works through them, but I need to know, God, what are you, what's your voice saying? So for me to pray, God, lead me, maybe my prayer this morning is, God, lead me so I can know it's your voice. Not what I want. Not what I think it says. And not even the idea that it says something like, I want to know. Jesus says, when we hear, we, we are, and we know we're to follow. And this is what the lead is speaking of. Father, lead me in a place where I have a willing heart, where I am willing to follow you. Because sometimes the Lord is my shepherd, He's going to take me through the valleys. If I'm honest, I don't want to go into the valley. We like to be on the mountain. So God, give me a willing heart so I will follow wherever you go. Coming back in verse 13, lead us not into temptation. This is the only portion of the Lord's prayer that contains a negative plea in the whole prayer. Did you see that? Lead us not. The revelation that we should all have. There are places where God our Father wants us to go, and there are places that God our Father doesn't want us to go. There are things we should be doing, and there are things we shouldn't be doing. So I come before the Father, God, lead me and give me that understanding. But it also brings a very interesting theological question, which you may have heard or, or haven't heard before, but if I'm asking God not to lead me, yet here's what the Bible says in James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, if God doesn't tempt anyone, because that's not his nature, that's what his voice, his word says, then why in the world is Jesus teaching us that we should pray for God not to lead us into temptation? The Bible goes on to say in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, each person is tempted when he is lured. That's the whole fishing thing kind of picture going on. And he's enticed by his own desire. That's our sinful nature. Then this desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And so what Jesus is teaching, what the voice of God is doing, is saying, Father, Teach me, lead me, allow me to be able to hear your voice so I can avoid the things in life which I know as you are the Father, you are hallowed, and you know all things. Father, lead me so I can avoid the things in life that you know would tempt me and pull me from you. Father, give me that wisdom because you know what pulls me from your presence more than I do. You know the thing, how many of us guys can relate, that makes me snap a little bit quicker than I normally would. You know the things that makes me compare myself to other people instead of comparing myself to you. You know the things that makes me covet and get angry, makes me lie and cheat. You know the things, Lord, and because I, I don't fully understand that, Father, help me to avoid those things and lead me not to those. I'm asking you, Father, to help me avoid temptation and give me the wisdom so I might know what causes me 
to fall into temptation and therefore sin against you. Lord, lead me not into temptation. See, the Bible lets us know that God doesn't lead us but into temptation, but here's where God does lead us. The word temptation is closely tied to the word test. And the Bible reveals that the testing of our faith is something that is ultimately good for our faith. So temptations and testings are, are almost synonymous, but they're not because they play two different parts. So I'm praying, God, Father, lead me not into temptation. Father, give me ears to hear your voice, wisdom to know your voice, and a willing heart to follow your voice so in the midst of testing, I might show a genuine faith. Because in the midst of testing, I know that the temptation is going to come for me not to follow you through the test, but to fall back to what I'm comfortable doing. Paul, the apostle who wrote majority of the New Testament, he was tempted and fell through the testing. He was tempted and fell. was sinful. Peter, same thing. Tempted, fell victim to the testing came sinful. Jesus is the only one in Scripture who rested with the testing of his faith and did not fall or succumb into the temptation that led to sin. Yet the Bible tells us that it was God who led Jesus into the wilderness so that he might be tempted. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice what it, it says. It was not God who tempted him, but God led him to the situation where the testing of his faith could happen. And in the midst of our testings, that's when Satan comes to tempt us. But why would God do that? Why would God, who has a plan for us and it's good and for our welfare, lead us to a place where we could be tempted and therefore sin against his word and his will? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, that in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, those tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So therefore, God leads me to testing so that my faith can be shown genuine and bring glory to God. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that we should count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, very, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the beginning is prayer where I say, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life and as it is in heaven and on this earth as it is in heaven. What I'm saying, okay, God, I'm giving you full permission to have your way with me and to lead me to the places I may not go on my own so that I may be tested to ultimately say, I am going to practice what I preach. And I think this is the big issue we have in churches today and in Christianity today is that we want it nice and easy and nice and fluffy. We want it to all go smooth sailing, but the reality is, is God has to take us to places that are hard and difficult so we can actually come to a point and say, I'm going to actually trust you in this. I'm going to trust what your word says in this. I'm going to trust you as my father. You're never going to leave me or forsake me. Nothing can separate me from you. I'm going to trust you in this even though I don't understand it. You know I don't like it. 
I'm going to trust you. So, Lord, lead me not to the place where I'm going to fall into temptation and give birth sin, but instead lead me to a place where I'm going to hear your voice and follow you through this situation. So the reality of Scripture is we're all going to be tempted, but being tempted is not the sin. Paul tells Ephesian believers that you are to put on the whole armor of God. Jesus said very plainly, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the temptation and the testing? The testing that God allows in our life, the testing of our faith, is meant to call us to obedience. The testing of your and my faith is meant to call us to obedience. So what's the point of the temptation? In the midst of the testing, the temptation comes to pull us from obedience. So God leads us to the place of testing so he can call us into obedience, which is calling us closer to his holiness and his perfection and his completeness. But in the midst of the test, in the midst of the trial, the evil one comes, brings the temptation to not come deeper into the Father, but to pull us from the Father, to pull us from his presence. So I'm praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, I know the testings are going to come. I know they come because so my faith can be proven genuine. In the midst of the test, Lord, help me to avoid the temptation. I'm not following you and hearing your voice. Protect me. Sean O'Donnell writes that the idea here is not, Lord, please don't bring us to the place of temptation or don't allow us to be tempted. What is being said here is rather, Lord, don't let us succumb to it. And in the midst of it, don't abandon us. Colin Brown adds, it is not a prayer to be preserved from temptation, but to be preserved within it. A portion of his prayer is to cry out to God, give me a heart of obedience that I can trust you in the midst of this storm. And this is temptation, this trial, and this testing. And so as I'm trusting you, here's a verse, if you're in the midst of it, here's a verse I think we all should memorize. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Meaning there are people in this room, whatever you're going through, there are people in this room who are either going through it too, or they have gone through it. This is why the Bible calls us we're to have biblical fellowship and share our lives. Because a lot of times we go through the testing and we feel we're all alone. But he says it's not, it's, that is not common to man. And here's the thing, in the midst of temptation, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of, of escape so you may be able to endure it. The word endure means so you may be able to stand under it. Meaning the temptation, the temptation, the trial, the testing is not meant to crush you, but to build you up. And God will provide a way so you can endure through it. And I've heard the statement when I've read that verse, I've heard other people read that verse, or even some people just have a knowledge of that verse, and well, God has more faith in me than I do. You ever had that feeling? God, you think I'm a lot stronger than I actually am. But isn't that the truth? If we spin it in the positive way, is that God knows us so well, He actually knows what we're really capable of. 
That's what that means. God sees so much potential in his children. He just wants the best for us, and part of that is through the testing so we can trust him more. Because a lot of us, we've gone through the tests and the trials, and we've looked back now, and we've seen the beauty of God, haven't we? We've seen how God's worked in that situation. We've seen how God's hand been in that situation. But in the midst of it, it's hard to see. So we have to be able to hear Him. And you understand that this temptation isn't a sin. It's the obedience to the temptation or yielding to it that creates the sin. So God, Father, lead me to a place where I don't fall into temptation as you lead me through the testing of my faith. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. The word deliver there at the end of verse 13, but deliver us from evil is is rendered in the Greek as the word snatch. It's an aggressive Greek word. What it means is as we reach out to God and pray to God, we're asking God's divine hand to come and snatch us from the evil one. Snatch us from, from Satan. It is saying, Lord, grab us from the grip the devil has upon us. Grab us from the grip of the evil one and his evil ways. And Lord, I'm coming before you because here's what I understand now that I understand you. I am realizing that I can make no headway in holiness without your divine hand upon me. And so, Lord, I need you to lead me. And in the midst of the temptation, Father, there's going to be times I'm going to want to go into that because I am sinful by nature. But in the midst of that, Father, even though it may be painful for me in that moment, Father, I'm asking your divine hand to come and snatch me out of that because I will not choose holiness on my own part. And so deliver me because I can't trust myself sometimes. You ever felt that way? I know what I would choose. Basically, I'm praying, verse 13, I'm praying to the Father, and we're praying to the Father by giving Him permission to make us holy. We're signing off. Father, make me holy. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Bible refers this portion of the prayer and of our holiness as sanctification, as God setting us apart for a great mighty work. And the reason we pray this portion of prayer is because our testimony is at stake. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. You may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We pray this prayer because we realize our transformation is at stake. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, meaning you may know, you may understand the will of God, which is revealed through the word of God, the voice of God, and then you'll know what is good and acceptable and perfect. We pray this portion of the prayer because, as I mentioned, our sanctification is at stake. Our testimony is at stake. We pray this because we know that we need ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is willing to apply what God is telling us and leading us to go. Because we won't go on our own. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So how do we apply it, okay? 
How do we apply this today? I want to go back to John chapter 10, verse 27, if you want to turn there yourself. Jesus is talking about Himself being the Good Shepherd. And He gives us three things about you know, this idea of being led by the Shepherd, to which He says, in John chapter 10, verse 27, the Bible says, I'll get there. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. My sheep hear My voice. The shepherd leads the sheep. We're the sheep, which is a great analogy because sheep are stubborn and and they're defenseless, which we're defenseless against the evil one and temptations, and we're stubborn at times. Anybody ever say you're hard-headed? No confessions on that one. Okay, so, but we are. And so when Jesus says that my sheep, they hear my voice, it's not just that I listen, but I hearing in, in the Bible means I am understanding, I am applying, and I'm following. So I'm not just zoning out. I'm not like the Peanuts crew in the Charlie Brown cartoon where the teacher goes, wah, 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 amen, and then we know it's time to go. But in the midst of this place, I'm hearing the voice of God. So I, I'm focusing and loving God with my mind. I'm understanding what God's trying to tell me. Maybe you're in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of the trial, and I'm understanding that I need to trust God in this because I'm trying to figure it out myself. I'm applying what God's Word is telling me that He is my shepherd who's never going to leave me or forsake me. He claims me as his own. He knows me. And I'm going to understand that I'm going to follow the word of God because he is mine and I am his. And he knows what's best for me. Jesus said in verse 27, my sheep, I know them. Which means in order for me to get through the trials and the testing because life, you're going to be tempted. You're going to have moments where you're going to pull back from the faith and you're going to walk away from God for that brief second. You're going to make a decision that is unholy. God knows that about you. knows that about me. There's nothing that's hidden from His sight. And so in the midst of that, I have to say, God, I know that I have a personal relationship with you. I know that you know me. I know that I can know you. And what you want for me, God, as your sheep, is to know you more. And this is the fall of Christianity in America today. This is it right here. Is that people get saved and then they sit. Or they get saved and then they go about the rest of their life. They check out of church or they show up on Easter and Christmas or when they're really in the midst of the trial. But that's not what God wants for your life and that's the disconnection. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, meaning he was inviting them to a personal relationship in which God was going to have a personal impact on their life so they might grow in discipleship. That's knowing God. There's going to be a lot of people, I honestly believe this because the Bible says so, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come before the Father that claim Christianity or claim the church membership and God's going to straight look at them in the eye and say, I never knew you. So you could call yourself whatever you wanted, but I did not know you and you made no effort to know me. And that's the disconnection. God already knows me. He already knows us. The question is, what am I doing to know Him? Am I personally pursuing after Him? Because He's obviously pursuing after me. 
we say, well, I just, okay, so he's telling me I need to be in Bible study or I need to be in a small group. Yes, those are good, but you really just need to be in this. If I'm going to know the voice of God, then I've got to know what the voice of God has already said. And it amazes me how many of us come to church on Sunday and the rest of the week we don't do anything with the Word of God. How am I going to follow if I don't know what He's telling me? Because that's what He says, my sheep, they follow me. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. God, I'm giving you permission to lead me. And as your child and as your sheep, sometimes that's going to require a rod and a staff. Sometimes that's going to require conviction and discipline. Because, Lord, you know I tend to wander. Lord, I give you permission. Because... I trust that you know what's best for me. Where are we today? If I'm honest with you, just me personally, there have been times this week where I've had the Bible on the table, but it has not opened. It's my confession. something wrong with that. Not just because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a child of God and God wants me to know Him. Some of us are like me. You've grown up in church your entire life, and so you've heard that story before. I've heard that prayer before. I've heard a sermon on prayer before. I've sang that song before. We can get so much into the routine that we miss the point. It's about knowing Him. Falling more in love with Him. The Old Testament, Israel fell into that trap. They just got into the routine. Maybe that's you this morning. You need to say, God, you've led me to this place because you are revealing that I have made my relationship with you about routine. If we made our marriages about routine, how many of them would fall apart? God, lead me. You may be here this morning and you're in the midst of the trial and the testing and you just need God. God, I need to hear your voice. I need to know where you're carrying me and where you're bringing me. Lord, I, need, I need a heart that's going to trust you because right now, Lord, I'm pretty mad. I don't know where you are, but God does. That's the beauty of His grace and His mercy is He's still invited us to His presence. He's still leading us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just playing Christian, playing church, and you call yourself saved, but you know you look nothing like Jesus. And you know that's not right. You may have at one point in time walked an aisle and someone led you through a prayer, but you just did it because that was the routine. That was the motion. But your heart wasn't in it. Mom and dad may have wanted you. Maybe your friends wanted you to do it at that moment in time. 
Here's the question. Do you know God? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit of God lives inside you and you are sealed eternally as His? If you have any doubts, and I don't bring this place to doubt your salvation, trust me, I have moments of doubt whether I'm even saved. You just may be going through a rough spot, but if you're here this morning and you're like, I, I honestly do not know if I'm saved. And I'm going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to stand right here. This is not a place of condemnation, but a place of glorification. And God is inviting you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to make sure I'm saved. I'm not going to lead you through a magical prayer or anything like that. The Bible says, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again because God loved me that much. And I confess with my mouth that he is Lord and believe in my heart and I will be saved. If that's you, then I'm going to invite you to come. Jackson, why don't you come up and lead us? God is good. God is good all the time. time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for leading us into these hard times where sometimes we just need you to step on our toes, Lord, when really we know you're aiming at our heart. Your command is that we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, everything we have, Lord. But I praise you for your grace and your mercy because you know we've all wandered. Yet in this moment, we're coming, we're giving you full permission to have your way with us, to lead us to the place of holiness. That we would no longer conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, which only you can do. I thank you so much for wanting a relationship with us. Give us, Lord, and we don't pursue after you. I pray for this church family. I pray for every individual here this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray and lift up and beg and ask that you give us a heart pants after you. When we did just a little bit, we just want more. Father, this week is as we go through our week and there's busy things, there's things on the schedule and things on the plan, Lord, you know them all. Father, I ask you that your spirit just do a work this week in us. That we're not connected to you and connected in hearing your voice through your word, Lord, that our spirit just groans inside of us and makes us uncomfortable. And Lord, you give us the wisdom to understand what it is. We haven't spent time with you, our father, our daddy. Thank you that you want time with us. We don't deserve it. And I pray for the individuals here this morning that know they've been playing it, they've been titling themselves something, but they know they're not. Their heart inside is just turning. And oh, they just want to get out of here right now. I pray that you would bless us. 
bring them to a place of salvation. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking for to us once again. We ask in this moment as we respond that it brings all glory to you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Stand as we sing.